This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Would you please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. This morning, as I've been praying to the Lord what to speak on, uh, this is what the Lord has laid on my heart to talk with you about. And I believe it's a very critical uh, message for all of us. I want to talk to you about peace, something worth fighting for. Peace, something worth fighting for. In Matthew chapter 5, It says in verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying... And he goes through a list of saying, who will be blessed? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What a privilege it is to be called a child of God. And one of the defining factors of being called a child of God is being a peacemaker. And since being a peacemaker is such a critical component of us being children of God, and I believe it's something that we need to look at this morning. The word peace comes from the Greek word eirene, and it's the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, which you're probably more familiar with. The word Irene expresses the idea of wholeness, completeness, tranquility in the soul that is unaffected by the outward circumstances or pressures. It strongly suggests the rule of order in place of chaos. As Rick Renner says, when a person is dominated by peace, he has a calm inner stability that results in the ability to conduct himself peacefully. Even in the midst of circumstances that would normally be very nerve-wracking, traumatic, or upsetting, rather than allowing the difficulties and pressures of life to break him, a person who is possessed by peace is whole, complete, orderly, stable, and poised for blessing. God wants us to be men and women who are filled with his peace. For 400 years, the Israelites were in slavery and they were far from a state of peace. God saw the timing of all that was going on. He also saw the, heard the cries of the Israelites. And for those of you familiar with the calling of Moses when he observed the burning bush that would not burn up, God spoke to Moses and he said that he 
had heard the cries of his people. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 5, he says these words, You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Now, if, if you recall, God had made a promise to Abraham, and that promise was long before uh, the children of Israel were going to find themselves in this situation. In fact, during the time that God was making the covenant with Abraham, the scripture specifically says there was a moment of darkness between God and Abraham that was overwhelming. And God explained to Abraham and said, there is coming a time when my children, when my people are going to be as slaves for many years. And God foresaw that. During this time, there was little peace in the land. But God said he was aware of his covenant with them. I want to say to you that no matter how long it takes, no matter what is going on in your life, God has not forgotten his promises to you. Sometimes with us it seems like time is a factor that discourages us because it seems like maybe God has forgotten or maybe he has given up. But I'm here to remind you from the word of God that God does not forget his promises to you. And in verse 6, God says to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said. Now listen to these words. But they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. God knows our limitations. And the children of Israel had basically reached a point where any encouraging word of freedom was something that really didn't resonate with them because they had been in bondage and in slavery for so long. There are people whose lives have been so overwhelmed by chaos and destruction that for them to actually believe that God can set them free is a very difficult task. And that was exactly what it was for Israel. So Moses tells Israel what, what God had said from his own lips and they refused to listen because they were too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. The Israelites had reached a point of despair. They weren't even able to believe God's word that he would set them free. Their life had become a big uh, or, or step by step as well as one total 
uh, life of chaos. They didn't see hope on the horizon because it was not a part of their experience. And yet God was saying, I am willing and very able to step into whatever chaos is going on. I understand that the Egyptians are whipping you. I understand that you're being mistreated, but I, your God, remember my covenant and I am going to step in and deliver you. Israel feared for their lives. They became emotionally disengaged. Hope was only a distant dream for them. They literally had the fight beat out of them, and they had succumbed to living in a physical state and a spiritual state of depression. Peace, wholeness, completeness, tranquility in the soul. All of those were not a part of their existence. But rather, what they were experiencing was the opposite of peace. It was a situation of chaos in their world. But God had not forgotten them. For God had said, I am very well aware of my my covenant with them. So we see that God indeed sets them free. He opens the Red Sea. He leads them to begin their journey to a state of peace, a land of promise where they would have rest from their enemies. But the journey would not be a short one. Even though it could have been, it wasn't. So why was it longer than it needed to be? Because they had become so discouraged by the brutality of their slavery, their fight was gone. They they had become so beaten down that they forgot who they were and they forgot God's promises to them. And I believe that every single one of us are susceptible to that today. And we have to learn from what the Israelites went through as we remember to keep our focus where it needs to be. And so in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18, It says that when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So you see there, this was God and he knows everything. He said, if I take them on the short route, they're not ready for the fight yet. There are enemies that are too big for them to be able to handle with the level of courage that they currently have. It was not a matter of whether or not they could win. Because we see that when they fought the battles, it wasn't them essentially winning the battles. It was God fighting for them. So the truth be told, if they had courage and faith to the level that was necessary, they could have gone straight through the land of the Philistines and got to the promised land a lot shorter. But as was evidenced by their actions all through the longer route, they were not ready for the battle. And so God took them the longer route. Why? To get them ready. Extra time to get them ready. There are times where God will slow us down in ministry, 
in business, in family, in whatever setting, so that he can prepare us for the bigger battles. That's how God works. And so God led them round about, it says in verse 18, uh, the way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Key word is they were like an army ready for battle. They looked the part, but they didn't have what it took to back it up. On the outside, we may even feel ready. I'll take on anything. But God knows exactly where we'll land once the fight begins. And because he loves us, he wants us to be fully prepared. So if he knows we're not ready, even when we think we are, he will say, no, 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 I'm going to take you a longer route because I want you to have more prep time so that you know how to be prepared when the pressure is on. Through the rest of the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God is preparing his people to enter into the land of rest, into a state of peace, into the promised land. But we see so clearly God did not hand the promised land to them on a silver platter, did he? There were many battles that they had to fight to get to the promised land. And as we wrapped up last Wednesday, the book of Joshua, we see that there was courage that was needed. God said to Joshua and God said to, peop, to all the, Israel, the Israelite people, be strong and of good courage. And I'm here to tell you today that if you're going to enter into what God has in store for you, it will not be handed to you on a silver platter either. You are going to have some battles that you are going to have to fight. In fact, I will tell you that if you are willing to even fight the bigger battles sooner, you'll get there sooner. But if we bow out of battles, God still loves us and he's still going to walk us through. But it's going to take us a longer time. He says, oh, my son's not ready yet. My daughter's not ready yet. I would have taken you here, but I see that if this pressure comes on, you're going to want to go back to Egypt. And so God says, I'm going to take you the longer route. But keep in mind here that God's whole plan and purpose was to bring them to this state of peace, which was representative of the promised land. You see, all through the time they were traveling, there wasn't really this sense of peace. They were always having step by step uncertain of what things were going to be like. There was a lot of uncertainty. And they would really have to trust God for what was going to be provided for them. The manna. They were going to have to trust God for water. They were going to have to trust God for protection. And they got it all. They got a pillar of fire when they needed it. They got a pillar of cloud when they needed it. The scripture says that manna came on a regular basis. The scripture says that God provided for them water even out of a rock when it was needed. So God was always there step by step, getting them to the point where they would be able to say when they stood looking at Jericho and, they, and God told them exactly how to go about the battle, that they would be able to trust that God would fight for them. God's bringing you through a process. He's bringing me through a process. He's preparing us to the point where we can stand before giants and say, you are nothing in the face of my God. 
And only God can prepare you to that point. And we can sometimes assess the situation with our own mind, but we are not capable of seeing the whole picture like God does. And that's why it's so critical that you and I spend time in the presence of God on a daily basis. Because when we're in his presence, his word is doing the preparation in making us ready for every battle that we're going to face so that we can live in a state of peace for the glory of God. And so Israel, now throughout these, uh, this long period of time, is prepared for battle. And then Joshua chapter 1 in verse 2, it says this, the time has Come. Aren't you glad that God's process of preparation doesn't last forever? The time will come when you will stand at the door of what God has promised you. It may take sometimes a longer time to get there because of lack of faith, lack of courage, but God does bring us there. The sad thing, though, is that everybody who should have been at that point was not there. Of those 19 years and older, only Joshua and Caleb were able to enter the promised land. They saw the promise fulfilled, but the rest didn't. Why? Because they didn't have the faith or the courage to believe God. And the scripture sadly says that God waited till the last adult ended up passing away before they were all able to enter into the promised land. So while God is doing the preparation process, he's also doing the weeding process. And he is saying, who is willing to stand? When God sent the armies to be able to go and fight with Gideon, there were 10,000 strong. It ended up that 9,700 of them would end up going home. And God looked at that situation and he said, now that they have all left, you're just ready for the task I have for you. God is not driven in success the way we are by numbers. No doubt Gideon would have looked at that situation and said, God, I thought we were a whole lot better off when we had 10,000 volunteers. But I do want to say this, when you're doing things God's way, less is better than more. Because God said all of those 9,700, their lack of faith and their fear was going to affect the other 300. And so God was at work in a plan that he knew would work best. And, and they ended up winning the battle. In chapter 1 of Joshua, verse 2, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. 
Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the Israelites are here standing at the brink of the promised land. Before, when they were in Egypt, that was a distant dream. It was the farthest thing from their minds. But here they were, one step away from the promise of God. And what the Israelites had to do next is what you and I and every follower of Christ must do to secure our promise of peace. They had to fight for it. Peace is worth fighting for. The tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh were assigned land that was already conquered on the east side of the Jordan River. But Joshua said that all the warriors from those tribes had to go and fight with the rest of the tribes until God had given all of them rest. And then they could return to their families on the other side of the river. So now we go to Joshua chapter 10. And it says in verse 3 that King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, Hoham, Piram, Japhia, and Deborah. He said, come and help me destroy Gibeon because they've made, uh, Gibeon has made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So the five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack and they moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. Verse 7, so Joshua and his entire army, including the best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makeda. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. What a tremendous victory! To celebrate. But as soon as this victory happens, these were, this was a group of five kings that had gathered together against Israel. And now all of a sudden, the scripture says in Joshua 11 that when the king Jabin of Hazor heard what happened, he sent messengers to King Jobab, King Shimron, the king of Asaph, and all the kings of the northern hill country. The kings in the Jordan Valley south of the Galilee, 
the kings in the Galilean foothills, the kings of Naphoth-dor on the west, the kings of Canaan both east and west, the kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Perizzites, and the kings of the Jebusites, and the kings of the Hivites on the slopes of Mount Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. Get dizzy just reading all those kings, and those are just the leaders. They had just defeated five kings and their armies. Now, this is just the reality. When we come against the enemy and we win, the enemy always tries to double down. And one of the main things he uses is scare tactics. I mean, just to read that list of kings that are coming with all of their armies can be a daunting thing to come up against. So verse 4 of Joshua 11 says, All these kings came out to fight. Their combined armies formed a vast horde. Listen to this. And with all their horses and chariots, they covered the landscape like the sand on the seashore. Now, if you're a soldier that is standing ready for battle, you've got a wife and kids at home, and you look out in front of you and you see a vast horde, your immediate reaction is probably not, yeah, let's go get them. Your immediate response would probably be like, um, do we know how many soldiers they actually have versus how many soldiers we have? That's the natural. We look at things and we assess. But see, the difference between all these kings and God's people was God had made his people a promise. Now, amazingly, even when they were fighting against the five kings, it says that God sent a hailstorm. I love that God's in control of the weather because nobody else is, right? It seems so haphazard, so, so unusual, but God's in control. And it says that the hailstones killed more of the enemy than even God's people did. Can you imagine God in heaven just aiming from the sky? I go, oh, there's another one, get up. Another one. Another one. He's taking them out. He's taking them out. And I just, I want you to know that God's got perfect aim. And when he chooses to fire, he never misses. You are best protected when you come under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as is so often referred to in the scriptures, the Lord of heaven's armies. God's got your back when you're walking in obedience to him. So here we are. We've got the hordes. And then we've got the children of Israel and their army. Now listen, I love the word of God. Because God never makes decisions based upon how things look. He, he says to Joshua, verse 6, Oh, don't be afraid of those guys. By this time tomorrow, that's 24 hours, 
by this time, within 24 hours, I will hand all of those guys over to you as dead men. I just want you to know, Joshua, what you see there, they're all going to be yours in 24 hours. What would you think if that were said to you? Like, Lord, what plan do you have that I am not aware of? Because 24 hours, all those people, little old us, how is that possible? God says, and after, after I've handed them all over to you, then you must cripple their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and all his fighting men traveled to the water near Miram and attacked suddenly. And the Lord gave them victory over their enemies. The Israelites chased them as far as the greater Sidon and uh, Misrephoth Maim and eastward into the valley of Mizpah until not one enemy warrior was left alive. Not one. That's why I say when God aims, he always gets his target. So don't be afraid. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God has your back, he will sustain you and strengthen you. And he will fight for you. Joshua eleven twenty three says these words. Joshua took control of all the land of Israel as the Lord had told Moses to do long ago. He gave the land to Israel because he had promised it to them. Then Joshua divided the land among the tribes of Israel. And listen to these words. And there was peace in the land. Peace that was worth fighting for. The peace wasn't there before, but the peace came as a result of obedience and fighting for that peace. Israel received their promised land and the blessings of peace that came with it. For you and I, sometimes we can desire to have the paycheck without the work or the prize without the competition or victory without the fight. But peace always comes with a price. It's not something that just happens. In, um, initially, the, the V symbol that is held up with two fingers to show the V was a symbol used by Winston Churchill during the Second World War to signify victory. The same signal was then taken up by North American counterculture as a sign of peace. But it has since lost its core meaning. The peace that comes from victory requires the triumph of good over evil. Real peace over destructive chaos. In 1969, there was a song that was written called Give Peace a Chance. And it became the anthem for the anti-war movement. It sounds innocent enough to give peace a chance. But peace cannot come simply by giving it a chance. That's not the way that peace comes into our lives. What happens if you give peace a chance and it doesn't work out? Do you settle for the alternative chaos? No, rather, peace has to be passionately pursued. And that pursuit will involve tense 
intense battles in your life and mine. Peace will always come with a price. And if we are willing to pay that price, we will experience peace. The scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's very important for you and I to do everything within our power to live at peace with everyone. But there are times when we are required to go and to fight for what is that realm of peace in our lives. Jesus said, blessed or happy are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. God, by his very nature, is a peacemaker. He has all the power in the world. He controls the universe. He holds life and death in his hands. And yet he is the king of peace. The scriptures tell us that he is the model peacemaker, the prince of peace. Peacemakers are motivated out of love, real love. And if there is anything that is done with any other motivation behind what is done other than love, it is not acting as a peacemaker. Initially, being a peacemaker may sound something easy and very, very good to us. And so what comes to your mind when you think of being a peacemaker? Maybe trying to help everybody get along. Maybe trying to step in and break up a fight. Maybe trying to mediate in the middle of a conflict. And to be a peacemaker can at times involve those things. But those things alone do not adequately define a peacemaker. When the scripture speaks of peace, it speaks of wholeness, completeness, tranquility in the soul that is unaffected by the outward circumstances or pressures, suggesting the rule of order in a place of chaos. We may all want to be peacemakers for God and peacemakers as he has called us to be. But here comes the part that is not so easy for us to digest about being a peacemaker. Is that peacemakers will often be crucified. The reason that peacemakers often find themselves in this position is because God himself the greatest peacemaker was crucified on the cross for doing what was right. Jesus' primary role when he came to this earth was to be a peacemaker. But what kind of peace? Real peace. Not a false sense of peace. And there is a difference. Truth had to be upheld that we are all sinners and we need forgiveness. Justice had to be done. Somebody had to pay the price. God could not sweep sin under the carpet. So Jesus came to make peace. In fact, it is through Jesus that we have peace with God. But let me read you another passage of scripture about our model peacemaker that is important for us to ponder on this morning. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now you may read that and think, wow, that sounds opposite. 
But it's not. Because Jesus did not come to bring a false peace. He came to bring real peace. And it goes on to say, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Jesus was saying, I want you to understand the heart of the matter. There's an enemy out to destroy your soul. And if you settle for a false peace to avoid conflict, then you will forfeit the peace that I have provided for you. The peace that I, Jesus, fought for. If you love your family more than me, Jesus says, if you're willing to compromise the truth to, quote, keep the peace, then you will have no peace. You may not have the conflict that you're feeling in that moment, but you will also have no peace, and you are not worthy to be called my child. As Phil Morgan said, if in the bringing of such real peace, conflict is inevitable. The most violent conflict that ever took place in all of history was witnessed by the universe as Jesus hung on the cross, making peace. And the cross has continued down through the ages to be the ground of conflict. It has been the bone of contention. Some have embraced it in love and commitment to Christ, and others have cursed it and ridiculed it. But it was absolutely necessary if peace was to be restored between God and man. Wholeness, completeness, tranquility, true peace. The peace that Jesus brings to you and me is more than just the absence of fighting. It is a fully restored relationship with God. And no one can offer that genuine peace to you but God himself. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, 23, My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peacemakers may require any or all of the following at times. Humbling yourself, being willing to say you're sorry, confronting falsehood with truth, going out of your way to see the offender or the offended, the risk of rejection, the risk of being misunderstood or misrepresented, the risk of appearing wrong or foolish, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. The world offers a false peace, a peace never worth fighting for. But God offers you a peace worth fighting for and dying for if necessary. Since peace is a part of God's character, when you are a peacemaker, you are recognized as a child of God. 
Jesus said that those who would be called sons of God would be peacemakers. They are in their relationship to their heavenly father, a chip off the old block. In other words, what God is, we represent that character too. And so this morning, I call you as troops to battle. I call you to the fight of your life. I challenge you with the words of the Apostle Paul who said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. Our fight as Christian Life Center, but as believers in the body of Christ, is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this world's darkness, against spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly realm. And that is why we need to put on the full armor of God. So that on the day of evil, we will be able to stand strong. And as the word of God says, when you have finished the whole fight, you will still be standing. So stand strong with the belt of truth tied around your waist and the protection of right living on your chest. On your feet, wear the good news of peace to help you stand strong and use the shield of faith with which you can stop all the burning arrows of the evil one. Accept God's salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And let us as followers of Jesus Christ be real warriors for real peace and may the kingdom of God be evident here may his peace rule and reign and as the scripture says in Colossians 3:15 let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. God's peace is fighting for and it is obtainable through what Jesus did on the cross. As we present this upcoming drama, The Living Last Supper, the whole focus the whole intention is that men and women who come into this place who see a representation of what happened on that fateful day for Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. That they will understand that their sin will no longer have to stand in the way between them and God, but that Jesus, through his death on the cross, has already paid for their peace. And that they can experience complete forgiveness, their shame can be taken away, and they can have not only their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but they can have a right relationship with God, their Father. And my friend here today, that's God's heartbeat for you. He wants you to not just have peace at any given, uh, at a time in the past, he wants you to have it every single day. I want to ask all of us for a moment to close ourselves in with God. And I want to ask everyone in this room, because I never take for granted that because you're in church, that you automatically have the peace of God. God sees your heart, 
and he loves you. He cares so much for you that he's gone out of his way to make peace through the cross. If you're in this room today and you'd say, Pastor, either I've never really made peace with God, or I did a while back, but I have gone about like the prodigal son doing my own thing, walking in disobedience to God, and I want my peace restored. If you fit into either of those categories, God says to you through his Holy Spirit, today is the day of salvation. You don't have to go on any longer with guilt, condemnation, or chaos in your life. God wants to establish his peace. As Jesus said, my peace I give to you. If you're in this room today and you would say, Pastor, I need my spirit filled with the peace of God and I surrender my heart to him and I want his Holy Spirit to come and change my life. I want to be saved. If that's you, would you simply stand to your feet right where you are because God is going to restore your peace today. Spirit of God, touch every heart in this room. If that's you, this is your opportunity, your peace with God can be restored. One last call. Is there anyone that would say, God, I need my peace restored with you? I sincerely hope from the bottom of my heart that every man and woman, young person, boy and girl in this room today is ready to meet Jesus. My next question is, maybe you're walking with God You're going the direction that is generally where he wants you to go. But you need courage to be able to take on all of the enemy kings that stand in your way. Maybe you've defeated five kings and now there are in what seem to be an innumerable amount of enemy hordes facing you today. As God said to Joshua, by this time tomorrow, all of these enemies will be in your hands. If you're facing a battle of incredible proportions and you would say, God, I need a word from you. What do you want me to do? What kind of attack do you want me to make? 
there were times in Scripture where the worship leaders led the attack. There were times in Scripture where they simply walked around the city and the attack happened that way. But there were other times where God said, I want you to go around the side and I want you to ambush them. Or I want you to go to this location and take them by surprise, travel by night and overtake them. Or like with David, God will say, don't even worry about the armor. Just get what I've skilled you in. Take your sling and the stones. I'll take care of the rest. I'm not sure exactly how God's going to guide you to battle. But I believe God wants you to have victory. But you have to play a part in that. Praying for victory is one thing, and we had better do that. But we also had better be willing when we get up off of our knees to take our spiritual weapons and go fight. And so this morning, I invite you along with me because I want more courage. I want to be able to fight better. I want the demons in hell to be afraid of what goes on at Christian Life Center. Why? Because we operate in the power of the name of Jesus. Not in word only, but also in action. And for that to be a reality, the soldiers have to be prepared. And you, my friends, and I are the soldiers. So if you're courageous this morning to say, God, I'm willing to go fight even when I'm outnumbered, as long as I know that you're the one calling me to battle, then here I stand. And I welcome you to join me by simply standing to your feet right where you are as a sign of commitment to the Lord to say, Lord, here I am. I'm enrolling in the army. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your level of experience or who, how long you've been walking with God. God enlists anyone who is willing to believe him because he will fight for you.